What is up, everybody? Welcome to brand new edition of the Selby's Godcast. I'm TJ Zuppi. He is Zach Meisel. We are brought to you by our supporters over at Anchor. Thank all of you that subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google, Spotify, wherever you happen to catch the show. And we hope everybody is doing well. What's up, buddy? It's so weird because as we're recording this, like we would be talking to Shane Bieber right now, asking him about opening day and the pageantry and getting back to it. And, you know, the Indians would have a tally in the win column or the loss column, and it would be one of 162. We'd be on our merry way through the annual grind. And instead we are uh, holed up in quarantine trying to reminisce. Oh, so you're saying the simulation I did with Santana hitting a grand slam in the first inning and Shane Bieber going eight strong innings, that that doesn't count? Well, I saw like four different media outlets do that, and I'm not sure which I'm supposed to believe. That's the problem. <laughs> Clearly the guy that did it um, like a month ago. <laughs> yeah, you you were first, so we'll give you the credit. And, let's, and let's, however, whatever happened there, that's... The actual result. Cool. I'm glad we can give us the credit that I clearly deserve. Speaking of credit, before we go any further, if you are listening to this on your Apple podcasts or, again, wherever you happen to listen, if you look down, you might see a new logo. Or if you see our Twitter, at Selby is Godcast, there's a new logo there, too. I got to give it up to my guy, Terry, who, unprompted, didn't talk to him beforehand. He just reached out. He didn't ask if he could do it. He just did it. And he created a logo for us, and uh, I know you and I both loved it so much. It was a cool idea that he incorporated with taking the, the original sign, the Selby is God cast sign, and then adding, or the Selby is God sign, and adding the little cast to it at the bottom, along with the little uh, acknowledgement to Bill Selby and Mariana Rivera, that moment, and the, the moment that helped name this podcast many years later. So our guy, Terry, sent that over to us. He's a graphics wannabe. That's how he put it. That pays the bill by pays the bills by driving trucks locally, and he's a tribe fan since the '60s. He says so. Terry, thank you, my brother. We're going to use that for the time being. You know, if I didn't know any better, uh, that description sounds a little bit too similar to another Terry from Cleveland who doesn't drive trucks around, but drives a hog around, and you you've seen him on his hog before, and. You know, he was, he was an Indians fan growing up because his dad played for the Indians. I think this is Terry Francona here we're talking about, right? Have you seen Tito with uh, Photoshop pulled up in his office? I haven't seen that recently. We don't get to go in there that often anymore. It used to be several years ago now, they would bring us into the manager's office to actually chat with the manager. Now we might get it one day a week, if that. And now we're not getting it at all. But I don't think I've ever seen him with... Uh, Adobe Photoshop or anything like that. Up. But if he is doing it, thank you, Tito. Yeah, I, I'm sure Terry Francona has never used Photoshop in his life. So, <laughs> At least not for good. Um, so we aren't talking real opening day, but we do have our memories. That's all we have to get us by for the moment. Everyone is taking <laughs> at some point uh, an opportunity to reminisce about something that they love. You know, you wrote some about what opening day means. Anybody really that has a job for writing in the media is trying to take a similar approach. See television stations, uh, networks airing past games, MLB rolling out an entire initiative with every team represented in some way with a game that meant a lot to them. You see, as, as I went down the list, 
I started looking at it and I said, Indians Cubs 2016 game seven. That is supposed to be a positive for the, Oh wait, I see now further down <laughs> streaming on a, uh, on a Facebook uh, page that they've got the 22 game win streak winner. So that is supposed to be representative of the Indians. But I did think about you know, every team on here. It's a special moment for them, but there's another side of that coin where <laughs> imagine you pull that up. You're like, what? This is what I got to watch on opening day. Some, piece of misery that I don't ever want to relive again in my life. That was almost a slap in the face to fans. So I'm curious if you had the same experience, but when I was a kid, you know, the game would typically start. I want to say, was it usually like a three o'clock start in the afternoon, like in yeah, the nineties and the early 2000s? Yeah. They've done a lot of that. Um, so, Cause I remember like maybe the last period of, of the school day. Uh, that you'd try to talk your your teacher into turning it on and and you know you wanted everybody to feel about opening day at least I did <laughs> the way I did and, and you know it was it was such a special thing for me because even when I was a kid I mean it didn't matter if the team was going to be good or bad opening day brought a sense of hope and it was a newness and it just you knew for the next six months you're gonna have like baseball is the heartbeat of the summer to me. And for for that six month stretch, it's there just about every day, and there's going to be some result, win or loss, and there's going to be some events that happen, and and you never know going in. I mean, like I think Detroit Tigers fans probably aren't as sad about a day like today as uh, fans in contending team cities, but it's there's still something so special about it. And I just remember being a kid, and you would hope that you could turn it on in your last class of the day and then you'd hope that bus ride home went as quick <laughs> as possible so that you could run into the living room turn on the tv and and watch the end of the game and i just that was that was the best um and it also meant you know when you're a kid that your season was just around the corner too yeah i can't tell you how many bus rides i spent with those afternoon games with my walkman Mm-hmm. plastered to the window. I had to hold it up to the window of the bus because if you were in the middle of the bus, those things could not pick up AM radio worth a damn. So you're sitting there, almost your hand out the window with my headphones up to my ears, ignoring everything else that's happening on the bus so I could maybe catch every fourth word that Tom Hamilton said. So <laughs> it's funny you mentioned that, the Walkman, because – I was in 2001 when the Indians were in the division series against the Mariners and it was game five. I was, <laughs> I am not a religious person. <laughs> I never talk about it, but I was at, I was getting a lesson for, to prep for my bar mitzvah. And I had a Walkman in my pocket, wore a hoodie and you know how like hoodies today are made so that you can string your your cord your wire through them and then listen what, to your headphones. what is a wire no one even uses that anymore <laughs> right. old man well and, and back then it's not like you had your earbuds you had like the full over the head <laughs> headphones so i put the the sweatshirt hood over my head had the headphones on and had the walkman concealed in my pocket and then going up through my sweatshirt and just i remember the whole night listening to the play-by-play and be going through the ups and downs, but trying not to show a visual reaction. So yeah, Walkmans were key mm-hmm. back in the day. 
Yeah, I can remember that for 96. They put those games, Indians and Orioles, on in the afternoon. And I felt so cheated because the first two games of that series, I, I didn't get to see much of. The third game of the series, of course, is where Bell hits the grand slam, and it's a uh, that massive moment that even though the Indians lost the series, it's still very memorable. Great call Cleveland by fans. our buddy John Miller. Of course. And our thoughts are with his family, too. Uh, so you get the, the fourth game in the series that the Indians lose, and I will say, to kind of tie this up into some sort of a bow, that was, for me, the moment that, that felt heartbreaking was that 96 team not even advancing past the first round. In, in, I, mean, I was so young in 94, I remember the Indians getting good, but it, it wasn't really something that was truly on my radar. In 95, it is really what helped me fall in love with baseball was that stretch and then what happened in the playoffs and getting to the World Series. But it was, I was still so new in my fandom being a, you know, a fifth grader at the time, I think, that losing in the World Series didn't feel like a, a punch to the gut quite yet, but 96 just assuming because of what we had, the baseball that we had seen for the last two years, you just kind of assumed that the Indians always had things under control, even when uh, they were making some, some moves that were a little uncharacteristic or pissed off some of the team, you know, trading Carlos Baerga in the middle of the season. That was my first real experience with a team trading a player that I really liked. And that one kind of also, it hit at me a little bit, but I, I, I was heartbroken in 96 when it was just over so quick. And the first two games of that series, I didn't get to watch because it was happening in the day with the school year going on. I remember my teacher, she had the game on. You know, they, they had the TVs on wheels at the time, of course. You know, everyone remember that? <laughs> they would, she had that thing in her classroom, and she would be watching it during you know, whatever was happening with her class who was out of the room. And I remember just going by, like peeking my head in the window, trying to catch what the score was. And they were, they were, they were down in the series. It was su such foreign territory for me as a young fan. Yeah. So had what? What's? I mean, I've covered nine opening days so far. Um, there's a couple memorable ones. Any any that jump to mind immediately for you? Well, are we talking opening days or home openers? They have to be strictly be, home openers. It could be either. I mean, the Indians typically start out on the road. This year was the perfect storm where they try to make it so teams aren't on the road more than three consecutive years to start a season. That's why the Indians um, were hosting the Tigers this year. I'm assuming I haven't seen the schedule for 2021 yet. I'm assuming they'll open the season on the road. Um, yeah. So, it, it, I mean, either. Whatever stands out. Well, and, and does it have to be covering or can it just be personally? No, I mean, either. I, I guess I'm, I don't have the only home opener or opening that I ever attended, not as a member of the media, was 20, crap, 20, 10 or 9, 2009. I was a student at Ohio State. My buddies, no, 2008 maybe? I don't know. I was a student at Ohio State. They played the yeah, 2009. They played the Orioles. It was my buddy's got tickets. I said sure, I'll we'll drive up. We'll go. And we were going to drive back I think that night. Um 
because it was a four o'clock game. And they played, they played the Blue Jays at home. It was just the worst weather because it was just warm enough where it wasn't snowing, but it was cold and it was rainy. And there was like a four hour rain delay, I want to say. And we left like three hours into the rain delay and then they resumed play <laughs> and they lost. It was, I want to say it was like a back and forth game. As I'm looking now, yeah, they gave up six runs in the eighth inning and lost 13 to seven. So. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I, I don't know if it was better that we left before the game resumed or if we should have stayed until the end and then watched them melt down. But it was just after that, I was like, why the hell? Why did I just do that? And that's the only the only time I ever attended opening day as a fan. I I worked the radio station at the time. I was doing some on-site producing and helping set up a remote broadcast. And they had done – they had always at the time – had a full broadcast day out in different locations leading up to opening day. And I think that was the one where, as you said, there was delays and the whole broadcast schedule was all messed up because the game wasn't being played. It was all off and people were coming in and they were soaked. And I think we were at Cadillac ranch. I want to say, <laughs> I just remember everyone being upset. Rest in peace. Uh, I just remember everybody being upset that uh, that didn't go as planned. So I have a couple that jumped to mind, 2000, uh, 2017 in Texas, because of, for a lot of different reasons, I remember the entirety of that series. That's when Lindor just went nuts to begin the year. He had a grand slam. Um, the Rangers closer at the time. Uh, Sam Dyson. Yes, he, he had pitched in the World Baseball Classic, and he was like seconds away from landing on the DL. Um, but he just got beat up in that series and the Indians just kept coming back from from deficits when it looked like they they were gonna lose these games early in Texas <laughs> after the first three games uh turned and looked at Paul Hoynes and, <laughs> and said to him is this team ever gonna lose because they just kept winning these games that they weren't it didn't seem like they had a, a chance to come back in and of course they had added Edwin Encarnacion to a team that came so close to winning the world series in 2016. So for the first time in a while, it felt like the Indians entered the year with just a, a juggernaut an unstoppable force. And uh, as we saw later in that year, they ended up providing one of the, the biggest stretches of baseball in the, the team's history and then fell short in the playoffs. Personally though, I think back, I can't remember if it was 2004, 2005, so somewhere in that, realm uh the indians opened at home and the first game got it was either too cold or too foggy but the wet it, it wasn't rain it was it was really cold and i had ha had it set up where i had a class at that that time and that day that was set to have a an exam in college and so i had set it up with the professor hey look i got tickets with my dad him and i are going up to the to the home opener here we're really looking forward to it. Is there anything we can do here so I can take the test later? And he says, you know what? Yeah, go up, have fun, opening day, come in the next day, and I'll give you an opportunity to take the test a little bit later. And I thought, great, that's fantastic. Well, the home opener got, ended up getting postponed. And I had already set it up with the professor that I wasn't going to go take the test that day. I wasn't prepared to take the test that day. I didn't go in because we had already set it up that I was going to go take the test on a different day. So then I go to the home opener. 
Uh, it was really foggy. I remember sitting in the upper deck, couldn't even, could barely even see the action on the field. It was so foggy and suffered through it, but it was fun because it was opening day. <laughs> and I come back to class uh, this next period uh, that I had set up to take the exam. And my professor said, no, no, you can't take the test. And I said, what? He said, our original arrangement was you would go to op- the home opener and I, I would reschedule this exam for you, but that game got canceled, so you should have been here. And I thought, okay, huh. all right, well, I guess I got a zero on that. Got a big fat zero on an exam because the Indians got postponed. It, that's mm, how'd you do in that class? <laughs> you still graduated. Uh, I did not do well in that class. And the best part about it is the the professor. Uh, for the the class was actually my grade school uh, the priest of the Catholic school that I went to, and he you know, had a good relationship with with him and my family and everyone loved him and he failed me on that test because i wasn 't there to take the exam, even though we had already talked about the extenuating circumstances. He said, "Nope, everything changed. you should have came in. you get a zero on that test. Thanks, man. appreciate that." Wow. Well, you can blame, uh, you can't even blame mother nature. Really. <laughs> do you... I don't know. Uh, I don't know. know. Myself. I, I guess I blame myself somehow. I'll just take responsibility. I think I've told the story or maybe on our annual Zaxxon vacation. So Jordan Bastion can come in and try to steal his job podcast. Jordan's told the story of both of our, our first opener in Cleveland his first day on the beat my first day as his intern in 2011 um I was just I was still in college I hadn't graduated yet and I was just up for the day or maybe the weekend to shadow him and of course his son who was one year old at the time fell ill had to be rushed to Cleveland Clinic and next thing you know they're throwing in some intern who (laughs) Has never written a story or a game story in his life, aside from, you know, football for the school paper. And I, our editor at the time, Jim Banks, was, <laughs> I think he was reaching for his liquor cabinet that day. Because <laughs> um, Jordan had to rush to the hospital. I had to write a game story. And, of course, the game was, I think it was like 14 nothing White Sox after four innings. And then that they was hung the on to win. Fausto Carmona opening day. Yeah. Yeah. And they hung on to win 15 to 10. Um, but we all survived. I wrote the game story and maybe the notebook. And I think Jordan was back the next day. So, and it was good experience for, <laughs> yeah. for me and good experience for him. And I guess knowing he could trust me and, you know, what to do in the case of a family crisis. Um, yeah. But that was a fun indoctrination to. <laughs> The baseball beat life. Yeah. Yeah. You never know what you're ready for until you just get thrown. It gets thrown your way. It's like same thing with Jordan with fatherhood and parenthood. You, you put into a family crisis situation. You don't know how you're going to respond until you're put in that situation. Uh, there's nothing that could really prepare you for all the emotions that you feel and how serious that is for, for you and your family and for you. And it's a little bit of a, a smaller scale. You didn't know how you were going to react, but you know now you now you know you're up against it. I, you can perform. I bet it's how Ryan Merritt felt before <laughs> he started Game Five of the 2016. Now, if ALCS. you tell me you wore boots that day, you have to be shaking <laughs> I, in them. I would be. I surprised. don't think I've ever worn. 
cowboy boots in my life. Yeah, it doesn't really fit you. Um, speaking of Toronto, I wanted to quickly mention the the 2013 opener. Um, that's one that I'll remember for a while. It was my first year covering some road games. Um, so that was it was cool to see that the Rogers Center when it's packed, it is so loud. It's raucous, mm-hmm. and it's the, you know it, it's like with the way the press box is situated. You're basically in the stands. Was pretty situated. Cool. Was it? Yeah, true. Now it's like behind what the left field foul pole. <laughs> yeah, it's where the uh, yeah. Luckily, during that 2016 series, uh, the ALCS, you guys, uh, Cleveland.com at the time had an extra seat, so I I posted up next to you. I remember, but I was supposed to go sit in the auxiliary press box, which is for the 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 football team, the the Argonauts, right? I think was at the time, and I I went out to where I was supposed to sit. And it was like a giant pillar in front of me. And also I was sitting in the third row where the, the, the ceilings had to be like five foot high tops. And so you're sitting like crouched down. You got to be kidding me. Who can sit here and watch a, a baseball game like this? Well, now everybody is apparently. But I, that was the first game Terry Francona managed. You had Nick Swisher and Michael Bourne. Um, it just, it felt different mm-hmm. and it was, it was a cool scene and it's like, it was like, Hey, they actually could win some games now. Um, so that was cool. Yeah. It, that uh, one definitely did. I remember watching that just at home and seeing the lineup for the first time in a long time where you didn't feel like a guy coming to the play was just an automatic out. Um, those games early in the season felt like you're watching a legitimate playoff team. So yeah, it, it Definitely had a, a bit of a different feel. As far as first time covering teams in 2010, that was my first year where I was actually in the press box covering games. Uh, later that year, it didn't happen on opening day. I had done some Cavs stuff the year prior, had done some playoff games, but had never done baseball. So 2010 was my first time stepping into the actual press box in the clubhouse after games. And one of my first games covering by myself was the day the Indians traded Johnny Peralta to the, the Detroit Tigers for uh, Giovanni. What the hell was his last name? Well, you have the same first and last name as another player. I know Giovanni Soto. I couldn't remember. Yes. All that popped in my brain was Giovanni Bernard. Um, the running back. Yeah. So all I can, I mean, this isn't a good story, but it's just one of my first experiences that I can remember. Oh, well then please here, have the floor. Take all the time. you need. This is our whole fucking podcast. If you don't know by now, <laughs> things that Zach and TJ find funny that no one else will. So we get called to the back of the press box. I'm sure you were probably there at the time. And Mark Shapiro comes up to do a impromptu press conference because they had just traded Johnny Peralta. And so he's in the back. He's reporters around and starting to ask questions. And, I get brave, put on my big boy pants, you know, my first time in the press box, or one of the first times in the press box, and I ask Mark Shapiro a question. He looks at me, and then he looks at me again, like, who in the holy hell are you? <laughs> I'll never forget that look from, from Mark as he looked at me, like, who, who, what, why are you talking? Just, just go back to your corner over there with the rest of the radio people. Just go now. And I'll, I'll never forget that, that look of, why are you even asking a question? And I didn't think it was a bad question, but I just, I, I will never forget that feeling of, okay, maybe I should have just kept my mouth shut and let all the pros do it here. Handle this. Yeah. I, 
Terry Francona has given that look <laughs> hundreds of times to people who look like they've just seen a ghost. Um, I wanted to mention 2015. Opening day wasn't too special, but uh, Keuchel and Kluber had a, a pitcher's duel. The Astros won 2 nothing. There were six total hits. I don't think anyone was banging trash cans back then. Um, but, I mean, that series is memorable for a couple of reasons because Trevor Bauer in the series finale, of course, I'm sure I told this story. He had a no-hitter going. Mm. He walked 100 guys, so it took forever. <laughs> so I was late catching my flight, and I had a late afternoon flight because the home opener was the next day, and it was a day game, and I had – we had the the plain dealer annual breakfast round table at seven thirty in the morning. So I had to be back that night so I could attend the round table in the morning and then cover the, the day game. And of course I thought I was going to miss my flight because I'm trying to make sure I don't miss this no hitter. Nick Hagedon gives it up. I think Jed Lowry took him deep in the ninth inning and that happened like as I'm walking out the door they blocked off because it was rush hour two blocks outside of Minute Maid Park. Um, so my Uber couldn't get too close. So I had to sprint to my Uber, sitting in rush hour traffic, worried I'm going to miss my flight, sprint to my gate, make the flight, so relieved. And then we sit on the runway. <laughs> <laughs> and we sit on the runway long enough that I miss my connection, spend the night in the Dallas airport to take like a 6 a.m. flight from Dallas to somewhere to Cleveland and go straight from the airport to progressive field. Uh, that is something I'm sure most beat writers for all the sports have had to deal with. It's not fun when it's the day of the home <laughs> opener and it's all the excitement and the, the energy and the electricity in the ballpark and you're dragging on your sixth coffee, you smell like crap and you have huge bags under your eyes. Um, but that's, that's definitely a memorable one. I know Ryan Lewis and Paul Hoynes had flight trouble too, getting out of Houston that night. Um, and then poor Ryan Lewis they, had other troubles after that series. Well, but they did make it back, and then Ryan Lewis got like an ear infection and was out for two weeks, and that was his first year on the beat. So he was <laughs> he covered the series in Houston and then was out for two weeks after Sheldon Knocker had covered the team for thirty years and never missed a day. So uh, that was a memorable week. The year after, of course, 2016 was another one of those. It's not raining or snowing, but it's really cold. And all the fans at the concourse drinking beer have frostbite. So we're going to cancel this um, against the Red Sox. And then I know they played the next day. Um, and then they, who knew that year they would go to game seven of the World Series. And uh, in game seven of the World Series on November 2nd, it would be like 68 degrees. Yeah. But for the opener, it was too cold. Uh, and then uh, as you bring up 2016, I'm reminded of uh, a video I saw earlier today as everyone is sharing their favorite opening day memories. Someone tweeted out a video of Colin Cowgill going deep for a grand slam for the Mets. <laughs> <laughs> and I kind of used that to very effortlessly segue into something I like to call the favorite team that you had as a youngster that for no reason – could you ever explain why they were one of your favorite teams? Oh, yeah. This is so easy for me. And so this, this all comes full circle as we're talking about Cal Gill, who was in the 2016 opening day lineup for the Indians, who hit a grand slam for the Mets. And the Mets of 2000 were that yes. team for me. Oh, yeah. my God. Me too. Benny Agbayani. 
<laughs> Mike Hampton was my favorite player. I don't know why it is. Maybe it's because I, I couldn't stand the Braves at the time, and I think they beat them, right? In 99, the Braves beat the Mets in a really entertaining series. Okay. I think it went six. And in game five, it was the 16th inning. The Mets stayed alive. John Olerud hit that grand, walk-off grand slam, but it was only a walk-off single because his teammates mobbed him before he could get around the bases. That was Ventura, so only one, right? I think it was Robert. Or Ventura, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, oh, my God. And then, and then the Mets, the next year, I don't remember. I think they beat the Giants in the Cardinals. Right. And then they ended up facing the Yankees in the World Series and they ended yeah. up losing. And maybe it's oh, because I love that team. maybe it was because they were facing the Yankees too. But there was something even before that, uh everyone at the time had those awful black uniforms that they had thrown in and the Mets were no different. Like the Blue Jays also mm-hmm. had a, a a black uniform. I think the Orioles had a black uniform. Everyone threw it black in at the time. It was the early two thousands. That's what we do. Put black in the uniform. Everyone will love it. Um, and so the Mets of 2000, I don't know what it is, but uh, the first name I wrote down, Benny Agbayani. He, he was awesome. Ty and he Steele, had a great Eduardo run. Eduardo Alfonso, Mike Piazza, Mike Hampton. And then the one dude that every time I did a fantasy draft on a video game that he always ended up on my team was Melvin Mora. I don't know why, but <laughs> Melvin Mora. And Ray Ordonez was their shortstop. It's weird. That's uh, Benny Agbayani had an incredible postseason too. He uh, his OPS was over a thousand in the division series. It was nine forty seven in the NLCS, and he it went down in the World Series, but he still had a three eighty one on base percentage. Right? He was he man, that was fun. And he was who was Benny Agbayani? He played in three hundred eighty games in his career, but he had a postseason to remember. That's why baseball's so great. It can make a hero out of anybody. I miss it. Come back. <laughs> yeah. And you're telling stories of airports. We'll someday tell our kids about how we used to fly in airplanes and spend uh, time around other people that wasn't at least six foot six feet away from us. Do you have a random ex Cleveland Indian of the day? I do. I'm terrified that we've done this one before, but I stumbled upon his name the other day and I thought, you know what? We should try this one out. So this human being is 35 years old right now. He pitched for the Indians um in 2014 and only 2014 328 era 31 appearances he went four and oh undefeated 24 strikeouts in 24 innings but he only pitched for them for one year how many other teams did he play for he played for three other major league teams and total six major league seasons, 2008 to 2014. 2014 was his last year. That's weird. Okay. He pitched in the minors for a couple of years after that, but that's it. I can't think of. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't got anything yet. 328 ERA, but a 524 fifth. Oh, of course. Could... That can. Just narrow that down well, based but on that. You could tell he was not quite as good as his numbers might have looked. And in late August, the Indians were like, you know what? Why don't you just go to the Yankees for some cash? Oh, man. Who did so they... he made nine appearances for the Yankees that last month of the season. And that was it. And those nine appearances totaled three and two thirds innings. So, uh, oh, uh, it, uh, they didn't last very I'm long. I'm going to hate when you tell me who this is because um, 
it's like I'm eighty percent of the way there, but I can't. Would quite you like remember. to know the hand he uses to throw a baseball? I don't think that's going to make a difference, but yes, I would love to know. Left. The Phillies drafted him in the tenth round of the two thousand five draft, but he never pitched for them in the majors. He did, I believe I remember writing a story where he and Carlos Carrasco kind of came through the Philly system together. Um, yeah, and they were both in the rotation. That rotation had those two and I want to say Matt Maloney. And it was like like the Lakewood Blue Claws of the uh, in A-ball were like the greatest minor league team <laughs> ever assembled. <sighs> Shit. I don't think... I. It's going to drive me nuts when you tell me who it is because yeah this is this is bad. I can't remember. Give up? Yeah, I give up. Career ERA of 443. Josh Outman. Ah, yeah, that's right. So the Indians remember they had Drew Stubbs, like that's another guy. Yeah. I'm like I forgot they had him. Um after the 2013 season they traded Drew Stubbs to the Rockies. Yeah. They got Outman. Outman was their lefty matchup guy for a little bit. Yeah, I actually thought um, he – I had high hopes for him being a decent secondary left-hander. And apparently he went he was semi-okay for a little bit. Yeah, but after that, he that was it. That's weird. He joined the Braves, the Pirates, the Nationals over the next few years, but never made it back to the Is majors. there a better name for a pitcher than Outman? That's all he needs to put on his resume. <laughs> Just put his name and then, like, skills. Look at the fucking name. <laughs> I know, like, Homer Bailey is the worst for pitcher. Uh, but I can't think of anything better than Outman. And that, that would be, if I could draw it up anyway, it would be it. Uh, you know, I have a couple other things written down that I thought we could talk about. But I really have no idea how we'll be, how long we'll be doing a podcast here without actual baseball. So I'm going to hold off on some of those topics for another time. But before we uh, do get out of here, I know your cohort, Ken Rosenthal, had, I mean, basically every day he's got some new nuggets on what is happening with baseball. It's been so tough to even follow some of the the nuts and bolts of the sport because, A, there are so many bigger things going on in this country in the world right now that don't really concern themselves with baseball, but also it's tough. And, you know, until they, they actually get back on the field, it's so hard to even care about like CBA negotiations and stuff that sure. uh, is going on behind the scenes. But one interesting thing is related to Francisco Lindor, which I thought, I mean, you, you tweeted about it yesterday, but that is something that would be like a worst case scenario. If for some reason the Indians lost a year of, of of controllability for Francisco Lindor and the season is somehow shortened or in some way canceled. Yeah. I mean, imagine being the Dodgers and you traded uh, some two pretty good prospects to get Mookie Betts and then Mookie Betts never plays for your team. Um, I, it's, this is so trivial right now. It feels like it feels weird talking about it. It would suck for the Indians. There's no doubt about it. Um, I, I do know that every single person in the league office, every owner around the league, 
wants there to be baseball in 2020. And if there's any way of making it happen, it's going to happen. I mean, up until the CDC said, hey, eight weeks at least to to not have large gatherings, they still thought they were going to get 162 games in. They thought they would just, okay. What are you talking about? I'm still seeing people still come up with ways where they could be playing on Christmas Day. Ugh. Well, and that's the thing, too, is, like, if the Indians were ever going to win the World Series, of course it would be in the season that's, like, shortened, <laughs> and they try out new rules, and the games take place at a neutral – like, someone emailed me today and was like, leave it to the Indians to win the World Series in a year where they're, they clinch it in, like, the ballpark in Arlington on December 21st. And I'm like, yeah, and it'll happen on a Sunday afternoon. There will be, like, 5,000 people in that ballpark. And then the Browns will win to go to like nine and six that day. And so on talk radio the next morning, they'll, they'll lead with Baker Mayfield's three touchdown performance. <laughs> uh, but, but I think, I, I do think like there, we don't know what's going to happen in terms of health and, yeah. you know, the state of the country and the world. That's paramount. That's obviously priorities number one through one million yeah but of course but i mean i, I do we, i mean we're, I do we're think there's to, gonna be a baseball season if there can be we're, we're not here to talk about all of that stuff people turning are turning us on to talk baseball so we all acknowledge that there are bigger I thought things we could more. do like 40 minutes on the best hand washing techniques uh, that would be cool yeah uh coming up next anthony fauci will join the show no just kidding he is uh apparently he's making the rounds we can get him right? yeah i think uh we could probably get that done <laughs> just let him know that uh the Godcast is offer after him, and uh, I'm sure if nothing else, we could uh, try to get him or uh, your boy with all the question marks on his suit, which uh, he does have a Twitter account. Matthew Lesko? Yeah, Matthew Lesko has a Twitter account. <laughs> we'll, we'll effort that. We're going to get that done at some point, right? Absolutely. All right. Well, hope everybody stays safe. In this time of uh, the great unknown, uncertainty, but uh, we're here for you. Thinking of you, hope you guys enjoy whatever we can bring you, even if it's random stories that only Zach and I care about. Until next time, when we will talk about the time that we had three hits in a game when we were 11 years old. I'm TJ Zuppi. He's Zach Meisel. We are out of here. Selby's Godcast featuring Zach Meisel and TJ Zuppi is presented by our supporters at Anchor. To help support the podcast, visit anchor.fm slash Godcast. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you like what you hear, we sure hope you do, be sure to leave us a five-star review. And if you have suggestions, drop us a DM on Twitter at Godcast. Thanks for listening.